All right, today we are in our series about enough. And I love that we were able to hear from Jim last week, brother in Christ that I love dearly, that I, I just think is amazing and awesome. Jim, I am not running through any walls. I've had coffee, but I'm not running through any walls. Uh, but what, but uh, the theme that, that he spoke about last week flows in with what we've been talking about. We've been talking about how we come alive in Jesus. And how many people live dead all the time? They're just, how you doing? Eh, I'm okay. And I'm not saying you don't get there sometimes, but like every time you ask them, right? Every time you ask them, like, uh, how, which, what should I tell you about today? There's like 15 things that are going wrong. I should, like, what's going on with God's people? Where is the life in us? Where is the life in us? We started by talking about how death is life for a believer. Suffering and loss. We talked about how serving is life. Last week, Jim shared about how desperation is a pathway God puts us on to bring us to life. And we're not sharing these things so that we feel like crummy Christians. We feel bad about ourselves. We feel like there's this impossible standard that we should be measuring up to, and we're not, and oh man, I knew I was a fit. It's not for that, right? It's because we started with this premise. Jesus is alive, and because Jesus is alive, God's people live. And so if I'm not living, what's up? What's going on? Why Is God a liar? Is something wrong with me? What's happening here? So we started investigating what God has to say about coming alive. Years ago, I learned something very personally about what we're going to talk about today. It was back in 2004, and uh, some of you guys know the story. You were with us in it, but many of you don't. It, uh, I was asked to leave a church that we've been serving at, and the whole thing behind that is a whole story of its own. But for the purposes of today, what I wanted to share with you is when that happened, we went as a family of six, four kids, my wife and I, and from uh, you know an income expected, planned for the future, to within a few weeks, we weren't going to have any income at all. And that moment was a moment where we wondered, what, what's going to happen to us? As you can imagine, over the next months, I lived a little bit stressed out, wondering how we were going to make ends meet. Uh, I was always someone who was pretty careful about our money. We didn't have much. But for the next year, I lived really overwhelmed with the burden of, are we going to have enough even as we started this church, that was, we were, Dana was working two jobs, I was working two jobs, and, and you know, through some help from friends, uh, pointing us in directions, some temporary jobs, even my brother, and, and lots of ways God provided for us, but it was piecemeal over the course of the year. So I never got unstressed about it. At the end of 14 months, I remember sitting in my house, looking at all the financial stuff, looking at the, the bills and whatever. And I don't know how I noticed it exactly, but somehow God pointed out to me, I think it was the Lord, um, I'm looking at my bank statement and I realized that the balance in the bank was almost exactly the same balance 14 months later as the day that we stepped away from our known income. And even like as thick as I am, it got through to me like, I've been stressed all this time, and we're still exactly where we were. Maybe I didn't need to stress about it. Maybe God has us. Maybe it's something where I could 
live a different way. For year, for the whole year, I had lived wondering if we would have enough. I lived like enough was an unanswered question. And I pursued answering it with a lot of emotion and a lot of energy. It ran through my thoughts. It was part of my plans all the time. Do I have enough? Will we have enough? And almost always the answer was not yet. Sometimes it was hopefully soon, maybe in a little bit, but never where I, was I able to humanly look at what was coming in and what I knew about and say, we're good. But that day, the truth was too obvious and I couldn't ignore it anymore. And the truth was simply this. As a child of Almighty God, the answer was always yes. You have enough. And it was always going to be yes. There was no other answer. As long as I left it an unanswered question, it was always going to haunt me. I was always going to be unsettled. In relation to finances and relation to a lot of life, I die when I leave that question open in my soul. And I come alive when I embrace the obvious answer, I have enough. Because God has me. And then I'm supposed to respond to that by faith. So that I can live instead of wilting. So it sounds easy, right? What's the problem? Why doesn't everybody live like they have enough? Well, the truth is, all of us live with one basic premise that we are given, I think is kind of hardwired into our humanity. And it is this. The answer for my troubles in life is more. Everybody. <laughs> to human nature, more of what I want is almost always the answer to what's wrong with me. And I think money and stuff can be a part of that. Like, I want more things and I need more income, certainly. But it's not just that. It's, if only I had more help. If only I had more strength. If only I had more talent. If only I had more information. If only I had more control. If only I had more resources. If only God had given me more faith. If only I had more time. If only I got more rest. If only I had more friends. If only I was able to have enough fun. Like, are you with me yet? This is humanity's tripping point in our walk by faith. People of God, faith brings life to us when we know that the key to being alive right now, not someday, right now, is knowing that I can always trust my good Father to have given me enough. So I'm asking you today to assess whether or not you have enough and to come to an answer. I'm asking you to begin a training of your mind to accept what you believe. Because I know if I sat down with you, and I said to you, do you believe that God is good? Yes. Do you believe that God is great? Yes. Do you believe God cares about you? Yes. Do you believe that God has given you enough? Yes. We believe it. We just don't always let it get out into our lives. We don't always live it. We have to train our mind to accept what we believe, that the sovereign Lord has not made a mistake, that my current life circumstances are not an indication that His nature towards me is uncaring, or unloving, or unmoved by my struggle. What we learn is that contentment is 
life. Contentment is life. As long as you leave the enough question unanswered, the enemy will use it to suck the life out of your soul. And he has for many of us. I just need more people to see what I see with what's going on in the world around me. I need more people to agree with me. I need more pe- uh, people to let me do what I think I should do. I need more people to do what I think they should do. You can't live like Jesus wants you to live until you undergo this process of learning what it means that contentment is life. So we're going to run through the Bible. We're going to look at the teaching in Scripture very briefly, and, and we could look at a whole lot more. But I'm doing this so that you know I'm not just making this up, and I'm not out of line with what God asks us to live like. He wants us to live from the depths of our soul to be alive, but He also tells us how, and He gives us the choice about whether we embrace what He tells us or reject it, whether we walk into it or not. We all know that it is normal to look around and notice what you don't have that you would like to have. We, in fact, live in a world that runs on this premise, that they can show you something that you think you might like to have and tell you that you should want it. We call it advertising. It is even normal to feel a longing for things that you believe or think would improve your enjoyment or your experience in life. There's nothing about you as a Christian that shuts that off. That's with you. You, If you're a child of God, if you're a person of faith, you still look around and you're like, oh, that would be nice to have. And man, that could help. And oh yeah, that would make my life easier. You're going to notice those things. You're going to see those things. You are even going to feel a draw to those things. You can't shut that down. But that's where the people of God diverge from the people who don't know God. Or at least we should. Too often we don't. But we should. Because we should know that more stuff doesn't mean more life. Does anybody know that? Has anybody experienced that chase in your life for more and felt the death in your soul, the way it sucks away the life? Often, more stuff means less life. Pursuing more stuff while believing that more is better is its own poison to your soul. And I bet you, if you let that roll in your head for a little bit, you've got story after story of how you got tangled up in chasing more, thinking it would fix your life, and you found out that the chase itself was killing you. The discontent, the dissatisfaction was sucking the life out of your soul. We, we're supposed to know this as the, the people of God because we find it in Scripture. So where do we find it? The first place we're going to go is to Exodus chapter 20. The 10th command in the most famous set of rules, the Ten Commandments, we find this idea at the end given to God's people. And it says this, verse 17, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servants or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Pretty simple command. You shouldn't covet, you shouldn't want what they have and wish that it was yours instead of theirs. By the way, this does not teach that wives are property. Anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, what God is doing here is saying, you should not wish to have in your life what God has put in someone else's life. You should not allow yourself to believe that my life would be better if I had what God didn't give me. 
He's giving instructions to his people. And it's not just so they can have a civilized society and it's not havoc and chaos. He's giving them instructions about how their soul can be well. What if God's command is not just so that people are under control? What if it's because he's trying to show us something? And what he's trying to show the people of Israel, which they never got, as we've gone through Exodus and into Numbers, and we're going to pick up in Numbers again in January, do you notice that they never understood that they had enough because God was with them? They should have. Pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, parting of the Red Sea, manna on the ground. Like they should have. Can't, Moses, we need water. Here's a rock. We'll get water. from. Like they should have known they had enough because God was taking care of it. They should have known it. But they never did. So he gives them a command. That says, you cannot, as a child of God, live like God has shortchanged you. Children of God, get this. You cannot live in your soul like God is shortchanging you. Or your life would be better if God would give you what someone else has. Like God has missed it. God, not coveting is more than just a prohibition. It's a challenge that says, how do you go to war with this natural human tendency that actually kills your soul of wanting what you don't have? As we read more scripture, we find out a little more. It's not just a command, but we're given a reason. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30, it says this, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. So you see the contrast in this verse. A heart at peace versus a heart with envy in it. The contrast means that the heart at peace is one that doesn't have envy. One that is at peace is one that is content. A heart at peace gives life, but envy rots the bones. Now this is wisdom literature. This is poetic. So it's not talking about a, a physical rot where there's like gangrene or something going on inside in your bone. But it's, it's a way of talking about when you live with envy, it undermines the, the stability and the structure of your very physical being. Have you ever known someone who is always dissatisfied and the way that it affects their health? The way that it affects their energy level, their outlook, it rots the bones. But a heart at peace, meaning one that is settled in what I have today, not one that envies others, but one that believes that I have enough, what do they get? What's it say? Life. What are we trying to find out about? Come alive. What brings life? Contentment brings life. We are people who are supposed to see this, that there is fallout to living dissatisfied. In other words, someone who lives believing they need more is sabotaging their own soul. How many of us have fallen into this trap? And it's the reason that we constantly aren't okay in our lives. Because the if only I could have this, and God, why didn't you give me that, and what I need is this and that. It is a huge theme in the New Testament. We are, not, we are called to, to reject envy. We are called to see what it does to us and reject it. In 1 Corinthians 13, love does not envy. So if you want love, you can't live in envy. You can't live in envy and love. 
Romans 1, envy is part of the list describing people full of every kind of wickedness. In James 3, envy or jealousy is something in people that produces disorder and every evil practice. In 1 Peter 2, envy is something that we as Christians are commanded to get rid of. Rid yourself of this. And the first thing is envy. The author of Hebrews puts it in these words. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. As he writes that, keep your lives free. It sounds like unless I take deliberate conscious action, I'm going to be overrun with the love of money. Almost like the love of money is a weed. And unless I weed it regularly, it's just going to keep growing and it's going to overtake my life. I have to keep my life free from it. Have you ever noticed this awesome thing about weeds? You don't have to do anything and they just show up. Right? Has anybody like really, really stressed about whether or not you can grow weeds? Like, I just don't have a green thumb. I can't get weeds anywhere. No, it, the weeds happen. If you don't do anything, they're everywhere. If you want something that you actually want, you got to work for that. you got to be intentional about that. And if you want your garden to be free of weeds, you've got to go out on a regular basis and deal with the weeds. In your soul, the weed is the love of money. The weed is dissatisfaction. The weed is discontentment. And what he says is, if you don't regularly, intentionally pull that out of your soul, it will overrun you. Instead, Be content with what you have. And he gives us a reason. He says, because God has said, because, meaning this is why you should keep your lives free from the love of money and content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. What does God being with us have to do with living free from loving money and allow us to live like what we have is enough? Does that make sense to you? Like, think about that for a second. The author of Hebrews puts those two ideas together and says, this comes from this. We're going to get back to that at the end. But for now, let's acknowledge that Scripture has something to say about living with the question of enough. If you leave that question open, you will always find reasons to say, I don't have enough. Measuring what I have and living with an undercurrent of discontent or complaint will wreck your soul. And many of you have not been careful here. And I think all of us fight this battle. Has anybody ever, like this week or today even, looked around and thought, that would be nice to have? You can't stop it. But what do I do with that? What is the discussion that follows that inside of me? Because if I live with that undercurrent, as long as I leave that question open, I leave myself almost no choice but to find my life wanting somewhere. You say, but yeah, doesn't that motivate you? You know, oh, I want this and I don't have it, so it's going to motivate me. Okay, it's a poor way to motivate, especially a person of faith. And the price is too high. I'm not saying that everything in your life should always be the same. I'm saying if God wants everything in your life to be the same, you've got to figure out how that leads to life instead of disappointment or discouragement or death. 
Let's look at one area where, where almost everybody struggles with that. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, verse 27. One of, the, one of the ways we get trapped in this all the time is with our relationships with people. We, I don't know anybody who doesn't struggle with the idea of are you content in the relationships that you have? It, are the relationships God has for you enough? Do I have enough friends? Am I single? Do I want to be in a relationship? Do I have a spouse that, that measures up to what I want them to be? Do, did I have the kind of parents that I wish I did? Do I have children? Do I have enough children? Like relationships. We find ways to be dissatisfied in relationships all the time. And in all of these things, we're asking an enough question. Do I have enough? What we're going to do is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to use marriage as an example of contentment with your interpersonal situation. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with wanting a different situation. I'm saying that we have to be able to surrender our want if we want to live. Because if we live believing that our life isn't okay until we get something different, we are abdicating the life that Jesus wants to bring to us. Verse 27 says this, Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. So Paul is in a, a whole discourse and teaching about marriage and singleness. Again, he's not teaching that no one should get married. Are you free from such a commitment? Don't seek to be married. Well, then that means nobody ever gets married again, right? It's not, his point is not that no one should get married. His point is you should be content with where you are now regardless of whether it changes in the future or not. Your tomorrow is given to God just like your today is. But I can't give my tomorrow to God if I haven't given him my today. I can't trust where he leads me tomorrow if I don't trust where he's put me today. But people idolize relationships. And so they, like someone gets into a relationship, they begin to, to idolize it, they make it more of a commitment than it actually is. They've just started dating, but they've acted like they're, this is a lifelong commitment that they've made. Because I have to have more. I have to have more. We haven't walked down an aisle and committed our lives to each other. So, but we're going we're gonna to be married in every sense except for the piece of paper. Because it's got to be more. It's got to be more. It's got to be more. Or we are married, but we seek release from our pledge. As Paul says, don't seek to be released from such a pledge. We seek release from it as normally as we wake up each day. People have eyes for others and, and flirt with others and have romantic interests. They, they foster and fuel fantasies in their soul about others. We are dissatisfied relationally, but we don't connect it to the death in our soul. When we live like we don't have enough relations, uh, relationally, we actually destroy some part of the relationships that we already have. When I live dissatisfied with who God has given me, I actually kind of disconnect the life that God wants to give me through the relationships that God has in my life right now. So here's the statement of faith. Who God has in your life right now is enough for right now. Maybe you're lonely. Maybe you feel like you don't have any friends. I get it. But is God at work? Is he good? 
who is in your life right now is enough. And who he'll bring into your life tomorrow will be enough too. How can I say that? Well, the author of Hebrews told us that we can be content and free from the love of money because God is with us. And that's where we land here. What we know as believers is this. You have Jesus. And Jesus is enough for you. Jesus is enough for you. This is the good news, people. Not Jesus plus a career and all the money that you need and a budget that balances and enough friends. Jesus himself is enough. There's, a, there's some words from Jesus to people who wanted to follow him in Luke chapter 9. I want to read it to you. I just want to read you this interaction with, with, between Jesus and these guys, kind of the challenge of it with them. And here's what happens, verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, that's to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. The implication here is that not knowing where you were going to stay was the end of the story for that follow you wherever you go guy. I'll follow you wherever you go as long as where you go is enough for me. Which Jesus asking him? Am I enough for you? Right? Let's keep going. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. There's nothing wrong with taking care of your loved ones and burying them or being at work and uh, saying goodbye to your family. What Jesus is asking them is this. Am I enough for you? Am I enough? Or do you need these other things too? Do you need Jesus plus more. Jesus is asking, can you leave good things undone and follow me? Can you be satisfied with just me? If you're a Christian today in salvation, you must come in faith that Jesus is enough, that only Jesus is enough. Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness that we have done. It's not our performance. It's According to His mercy, He saved us. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's by grace you have been saved through faith, not by yourselves, not by works. It's Jesus alone who is enough for us. So let me ask you, believers, if Jesus is enough for your salvation, He's enough for your eternal life, you need nothing more than Jesus so that you can live forever. We all know that, right? then if he's enough for living forever, is he enough for living today? Right now? Is he enough for this? Or do I need more to be content? Doesn't it make sense that our eternal life that we're experiencing even now still only needs Jesus? And if we have him, we have life. I'm not saying this to beat you down. I know this is something we have to learn. I'm saying, are we willing to learn it? Are we willing for God to teach it to us? Even the Apostle Paul said, this is something that I have to be learning from the hand of God. In Philippians chapter 4, he says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need. 
For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. The Lord is trying to teach us how to live, how to be alive. And one of the ways that He's showing us that is, can you be satisfied that Jesus is enough? Can you be satisfied with what he has given you, with what you know, with what you don't know? Can you be satisfied with how much you have or what you don't have? We love to talk about verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Yes, I can do all things. I can conquer the world. I can rise up. I can be great. I can do great things. But what's Paul talking about? Christ has to give me strength to be content that what he's given me is enough. Paul's not saying I'm not in need. He's writing this in prison. But while he's in prison, he says, I've learned no matter what's going on in my life, I'm good because God has me. Jesus is enough for me. I'm good. And guess what God did with that? Here's a guy who's in prison writing a letter, and here we are thousands of years later, and the words that he wrote have affected billions of people. Sometimes the problem for us is we're way too small about what we think God's doing in our life. God, you didn't fix it, so it must, you must hate me. Maybe, maybe, maybe the need in my life, the lack in my life, is not just a call to faith. It's a call to purpose. It's a call to mission. It's a call to bring glory to the name of Jesus. Because I know He is enough for me. And I can say that flippantly while I have all the conveniences of life and everything in my life is going great and everybody's like, of course Jesus is enough for you. You have everything else. But what about when you don't have everything else and Jesus is enough for you? Might the Lord be using you for a a purpose that echoes into eternity through what you think is missing, but what God says is necessary for the purpose and call in your life? And believers, what if there is peace and rest that you've been opting out of by constantly leaving the enough question open. My challenge to us today is this. Are you tired of running? The enemy's got you on a treadmill? More, 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 more. You're like, I'm exhausted. Maybe your exhaustion is not a, a sign that God has forgotten you. It's that you've forgotten that he's enough. You've left the question open of enough. How much is enough? When will you have enough of what you're chasing? Enough rest. If I could only have some more rest, if I could only have some more downtime, if I could only have more entertainment, if I could only have enough fun, then my soul would come alive. How much does it take for your soul to come alive? It's a false path. When will you have enough affirmation, enough encouragement, enough support, enough recognition, enough notoriety, enough achievement. When will it be enough for your soul to come alive? You see, it never is enough because it's not the path. Jesus is enough. At what point will you have enough money, enough stuff, enough power, enough control, enough upgrades, enough updates to the latest technology? When will it be enough? 
Enough people to agree with you. Enough rightness, enough arguments won. When will it be enough? There's nothing down that path you need. And ultimately, nothing that you want. Jesus is enough. If you're a child of God, I'm inviting you today to come back to that. If you're not a child of God, I'm inviting you to come and find that Jesus is enough. That the rest of it is a lie and a mirage and will wreck your soul. Believers, let's live like what we know is true. Let's learn from our Heavenly Father to be content.